0: I wanna get locked up tonight Listen to Rob Rossi and roll. rock On the only podcast that I'll hear That won't make me wanna rip off my ears Welcome to another exciting episode of The Rock Show. This is episode 153, and we are talking about Arthur Lee and love. Uh, I think that were from Los Angeles, right?
1: Yeah, about- yeah. How you doing, Rob?
0: I'm pretty good.
1: Good, I'm good, up, yeah. I'm,
0: I'm up after a, a night of getting lumped up real bad. <laughs> I,
1: I was right there with you, man. I know. I'm, I'm hanging on by a thread here.
0: I saw the picture, like you, Vinny, and, and dad,
1: man. Oh, that was, forget it. Forget it.
0: Dude, I just nope. that. Dad Dan put a picture up of Fat Dad. I never knew he was that big.
1: He used to be a big boy, yeah, yeah. I was
0: like, "Holy crap!" I
1: didn't know. I didn't know him then, but he talks about those days.
0: Hey, did you see George Figueroa and Karen? They look like they were going to invade Ukraine with those Russian hats.
1: <laughs> Shout out to George Figueroa. <laughs>
0: All right, man. Let's start the show, man. Oh, and yeah. So Ridge, we're we're, talk,
1: we're talking about Arthur Lee and Love, and uh, Love is one of these bands that, kind of like the Velvet Underground on the East Coast, on the West Coast, these guys were very influential. Uh, yeah. I definitely more a little bit more successful at first than than the Velvet Underground, but as far as being influential, uh, they definitely were. Um, Arthur Lee passed away in 2006. It was, you know, a big loss. He died a young guy, of leukemia. Um, but for many, many years, you know, he would come around and and do these songs. And I mean, they they were very much uh, they were bigger in England than they were in the states, and they had a big influence on the punk scene in Europe, uh, especially England. I know the Damned covered. One of their songs, uh, "Alone Again," or off the "Forever Changes" album, yeah. and that was that. That was the third album, and it's considered by many to be one of the greatest albums ever made. Uh, I think it has a special Grammy for it, and uh, like many years later, it got one. And it's in the Library of Congress as like a an album that's you know classic, and they recorded it. You know, um, he had a hard life, Arthur Lee. A lot of, you know, it was a lot of excess and, you know, guys in the band also, but they were all really good musicians, and Arthur Lee was kind of a child prodigy, so I'll, I'll, I'll get into it here. Um, he was born in Memphis, Tennessee, March 7th, 1945. Uh, his mother's name was Agnes. She was a school teacher, and his father's name was Chester Taylor, okay, now he was a local jazz musician and a cornet player, which is like a little trombone, uh, trumpet. Um, as an only child, Arthur was nicknamed Poe, short for Porter, which was his middle name. Yeah. Uh, as a child, Arthur was looked after often by family members, so his mother could continue teaching. Because of this, he got, you know, he was by himself a lot and he got very interested in music. His father was a musician. Uh, at a young age, basically, you know, young child, he was he was starting to play music and stuff. Uh, he would often sing along with blues artists like Howlin' Wolf and Muddy Waters when he yeah. heard him on the radio. Very influenced by that. Um, by the early 1950s, his parents divorced, and Arthur would say later that he actually only saw his dad like three times in his whole life. His dad was his dad was hardly ever around. So uh, one day when his dad wasn't around, his mother and him picked up and moved to California. Okay, they took a train from Memphis out to California. Uh, by 1953, the divorce was settled. And uh, in 1955, Agnes remarried a guy named Clinton Lee. And Clinton Lee, would, uh, he was a successful construction worker, brought a little stability to the family, Mom was able to go back and teach a little bit, and uh, he officially adopted him, which is why the last name Lee. Uh,
0: I was going to ask you about that just yeah. now, because he took his stepfather's name, which is something that doesn't happen.
1: Yeah, especially if you... Uh, he, like, officially, legally adopted Arthur, which a lot of stepfathers don't do, but you could do. Yeah. You know? But Lee
0: um, yeah. was thinking, because he, he played multiple instruments, right? Like
1: He started out playing... Uh, playing an accordion i believe um but what i want to mention is that after the mother got remarried uh she did go back to work and he was living they were living in the in the south uh, what's called the west adams area of south central la okay (laughs) tough area i i think it was a little bit nicer back then but still a tough area um you know it turned out that he went to the same School uh, As um, Johnny Eccles Who would end up being oh, in love Okay and they, that's how they knew each other Now he attended uh, The 6th Avenue Elementary School And he was very good in athletics Okay of course Anything music related he was good at It's just academically he was a little behind Alright he's like that kind of kid uh, He was also known as One of the toughest kids on the block
0: Oh shit
1: Yeah yeah And uh his aunt, his great aunt, actually pressured him a lot to get an, ed- an education, um, but it really, you know, it didn't, it didn't go that well. Uh, anything to do with sports and music, he would love. Okay, but when it came to regular stuff, he just didn't care. He loved animals a lot as well. Um, his first musical instrument was the accordion. OK, which is, you know, it's you laugh, but it's actually a very difficult instrument. It's not yeah. easy to play. OK. And, and first of all, you got to carry the thing and it's not light. OK. But if you ever watch those guys in the subway, sometimes it's like I'll look at them. I'm like, damn, how do you play that freaking thing? Because every every time you squeeze it, it's a different note, you know, and yeah. you got to know you got to know all the keys. Um, now, he, at a young age, he would learn how to read music. Okay, which would help him a lot later. Um, you know that's,
0: that's amazing. He doesn't care about the other, but he can read music. I, I always yeah. find people like that. That I think reading music is fucking difficult.
1: It, it it is. I mean, you know, I've 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 taken music theory courses, and it's not it's not easy to understand. You got to really be into it. You know, uh, my son is taking Sebastian. He's taking music theory, and I just look at some of the stuff. I'm like, wow. Okay. But one thing that Arthur could do very well is mimic what he heard. So this was kind of reminiscent of Sun Ra. We were talking in Sun Ra. Yeah. Sun Ra could write yeah. music at a young age, and also he could hear something and go home and 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 just do it. Okay, so Arthur oh, was very. M- write,
0: oh, he would write the musical notes of what he heard. He would even
1: do the note. Yeah, yeah. He was very talented. But but Arthur yeah. Arthur could play what he heard. Yeah. Okay, which is hard to do. Um. By the time he graduated from Susan Miller Dorsey High School, uh, he decided that he would have a musical career. That's what he wanted. So basically that came from, you know, he was on the fence with it. But then one day at a school assembly, he saw his friend Johnny Eccles playing Johnny Be Good with a five-piece band on stage. And he just said, that's what that's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life.
0: That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So his first known recording is actually from 1963, okay, when he was 18 years old. Uh, The song was called The Ninth Wave, and it was released by his first band, which was an instrumental group called the LAGs. And the band was influenced by Booker T and the MGs, like Stax Music, stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, it included his his friend Johnny Eccles. They, They got together in this band. Uh, who played guitar? Now, Arthur played organ. They had a guy named Alan Talbert on sax and a guy named Roland Davis on drums.
0: drums.
1: Yeah, now, as a songwriter, Lee wrote the surf songs White Caps and Ski Surfing Sanctuary. Very, you know, the surfing craze was big in 63.
0: It sounded like the Beach Boys there. Everybody <laughs> was
1: trying to do that. Yeah. You know, there were so many bands trying to do that. Um, There's a song called My Diary And that's the first Lee Song that almost became a hit uh, He wrote it actually In his teens But R&B singer Rosalie Brooks Recorded it for Revis Records And it included actually Jimi Hendrix on guitar Wow Yeah. So not only is he writing Songs, he's writing for other people As well Um Lee wrote, "I've been trying for little." Uh, I've been trying for. Li- um, excuse me. He wrote a song called "I've Been Trying" for an artist named Little Ray, uh, who was a Chicano soul singer at the time from East L.A. Uh, the song "Lucy Baines" was a song that he wrote about President Lyndon Johnson's daughter, and it was performed by his new band, The American Four.
0: The
1: American Fool. Right now, he also wrote a song called "Everybody Jerk" and "Slow Jerk." Okay, jerk, <laughs> jerk was a jerk was a dance at the time that people, used yeah. um, and that was for Ronnie and the Pomona Casuals. So again, he's writing for his stuff and other people. Um, that version actually has Lee on vocals on that band. Oh, wow, yeah, he he did some backing vocals, I think. Um, these early recordings are very rare. Very hard to find, but they were compiled on a 1997 bootleg CD, and the American four tracks that are out there have been officially released. Uh, I believe Norton Records put them out many, many, many years later.
0: Uh, it's been re-released as a 45, and also available on Apple iTunes.
1: Apple iTunes, there you go. Yeah, I think there was on it was on Norton Records, who's known for putting out a lot of obscure stuff. They're, they're a great label. Uh, Lee had said that he felt vindicated when he first heard the birds because he had been writing music like that. Okay. Uh, he, he could write a surf song, but then he could also write a kind of folk rock kind of thing that the birds were doing. Uh, if you listen to the first love album, the self-titled one, you pick up on that a little bit. Okay. there's uh you know, Jang. It sounds almost like, uh, you know, the jangly guitar sound of the birds in some of the songs. So he was doing something at nice. the same time. I mean, he, he you know, the, the the birds were in the folk scene in 63 and then by 65 they were you know, they were doing their thing. So it all happened around the same time. Um in 65, he had a folk rock band called the Grassroots, but they would change their name to uh to Love because there was already another band called the Grassroots that they found oh, out yeah. of. So they call themselves love now Lee's early appearances were at a club in Hollywood, uh, many clubs in Hollywood, Uh, brave new world was one hullabaloo, uh, Beatolitos. There was some live stuff released over the years from there. Um, Right. Another club called the sea witch. Um, Beatolitos was actually like a little hole in the wall club that was like on a dead end street. All right, and it actually had a name called Cosmos Alley. That's where that's where the club was. Okay, and uh, he started to get very popular there. Uh, people would come in and out. Rock stars were known to come in and out of that club when they were in town. Uh, people like Bob Dylan, Mick Jagger, Brian Jones uh, would all go in. Jimi Hendrix sometimes would go in there. So you know, he was he was meeting a lot of people. Um I mean
0: he was hanging out with other agents then.
1: Yeah, I mean this was definitely a place that I think the industry yeah. would pay attention, you know. Um but that wasn't what got them signed. They ended up getting uh, a string of gigs at the whiskey A go go, which was a notch up from Beatolitos. Okay, it was a lot bigger. And um
0: That's a place we, we hear a lot that a lot of people mention uh, Whiskey whiskey Go-Go
1: yeah, it's a big place in LA. I've seen it. I've never been inside it, but I've yeah, seen but it.
0: Is it you still know. around?
1: Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. It hasn't gone anywhere. I mean, a lot of people would get their starts there. I mean, even the Doors played there. You know, like wow. yeah. So um, it was it was at the Whiskey that Elektra Records got attracted to them. Okay, and said, you know, we need to. Jack Holzman loved Arthur Lee's style. Uh, he wanted to sign them in fact uh they were the first rock act that electra ever signed wow okay electra at that time was a jazz label mostly okay and they wanted to get into the rock, rock world and roll. Yep. yeah so they 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 they, they signed uh, love uh, they would sign the doors um and eventually the MC five and the Stooges and they would they would put out some fantastic music, that label. Um the lineup at this time for love was author on keyboards and vocals. Uh, Johnny Eccles was on guitar. You had singer guitarist Brian McLean. He sang most of the songs. Uh, bass player Ken Forsey and Snoopy Fisterer on drums. Okay. Yeah, Snoopy Fisterer. With a P, P-F-I-S-T-E-R-R-E-R. <laughs> the band at that time was all living together communally um, in, a, in a house called The Castle. Um, yes, I like that. Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a clip on YouTube, you could see it, of them playing on, uh, uh, I think it might be uh, where the action is with Dick Clark, or or might have been the American Bandstand with Dick Clark, but it was Dick Clark, uh, they, they come out, they do, uh, a song and then they, I think it's my little red book. And then yeah. he, he comes out and he asks them like, you know, so what's this place you live in called the castle? You know, he asks he asked them about it and they're like, oh yeah, it's a, you know, it's an empty house that they lived in. Basically what it was, they didn't even pay rent. What they did was they just paid the taxes on the house. They had an agreement oh, yeah. and they paid the taxes on it and they just kept it, you know, they maintained it. And it was a huge, huge castle-looking thing. Um, they In, in 1966, they, they released uh, uh, My Little Red Book as their first single. Um, it's actually not written by author. It's written by Burt Baccarat. And story goes, Burt Baccarat hated their version of it or something like that. But I don't know why. It's It's great. It was a different kind of song the way he wrote it.
0: Also oh, he wrote a different he wrote a
1: different song there. Well, it's the same song, but he, you know, author rearranged it. Okay. And, you know, he gave him credit, of course, but you know, it just uh yeah, Baccarat didn't like the, the sound of it or you know, whatever. I don't know. Um, the first album was a self titled album, just love, and it came out in March of sixty six. It yeah. sold moderately well, uh, getting to number fifty seven on Billboard uh some of the other outstanding tracks on there is um sign dc which is a song about heroin abuse um and no matter what which is kind of like a love song uh it's a great record okay uh my little red book can't explain that's not i think i think that's the first song on the album uh fantastic record it should be in everybody's collection after this they would come out with a single seven and seven is which is probably their most well-known song okay uh seven and seven is is just it's it's way ahead of its time uh wow. snoopy's drumming okay is is, is like he sounds, sounds like he's a ramon the way he's drumming Okay, <laughs> and, and in fact the ramones covered that song many many years later um but Seven and seven is 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 a kind of song that you'd call proto punk, okay? Proto oh, punk, yeah, yeah. You know anything like the Stooges were doing and and the MC Five and real high energy. They wouldn't stay in that direction. That's probably the only song they have that's like that. But but they did get they would they would balance between their sound would balance between stuff like seven and seven is and then a Baroque kind of, you know, very 60s. Uh, they would, you know, have flutes in their songs and stuff like that, okay? And it, very interesting because he, he walked this line between a couple of different genres and did it very well. Yeah, um, he did. Yeah, yeah. Now, that song, Seven and Seven Is, it's not the drumming's fantastic, but so is Johnny Eccles' guitar, all oh, right? It, it's I a sad. Yeah, you never you never heard a sound like this that he got. It was it's a very unique song, and it was Love's biggest hit actually, getting to number thirty three. Um, two more members were added at this time. You had a guy named T.J. Cantelli who played woodwinds. Okay, like I said, they were adding flutes and clarinets and stuff. Yeah, which so, you don't
0: hear that much stuff
1: like that like, a lot in the '60s. You did, but yeah. yeah.
0: So, I mean, later on, it, when it, evolved, it you'd never really heard, like, so,
1: no. so any time a band added that, it would like whoa, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. So he added Woodwinds, and then um, a guy named Michael Stewart came in on drums, and Snoopy Fistera moved to harpsichord. For some <laughs> reason, Snoopy, Snoopy was a good drummer, but he didn't think he was a good drummer. Uh-huh. So he, he moved over to that. Uh, Electra's art director... Designed the distinctive logo for love, which was kind of like a fancy script. And then the O had to manage to incorporate, like, the female and male symbols. Yeah. You know, kind of reminiscent of what Prince had, you know, like that Ah. symbol thing. You know, Um, the second love album was called Da Capo. And that came out in November of '66. Uh, Seven and Seven is ended up being on that, um, as well as the next singles, which is called "She Comes in Colors," and a song called "Kevida." Que Kevida. Que que Vida. Yeah, it was a much more experimental record. Okay, much more than the first one, uh, and it kind of showed the direction that Arthur wanted to go. Uh, the lineup would change a little bit after the release. Fisterer and uh, Cantrelli would leave Love, okay, and that would make them a five-piece again, okay? So Fisterer was out after that record was released. They began work on their third album, which was the iconic Forever Changes, and it was produced by Bruce Botnick and released in November of 1967. The album displayed a more mellow... And like avant-garde kind of sound To the band um, But uh, They were making their What's considered their masterpiece You have that happening But at the same time There was a lot of tension. What
0: do you mean by avant-garde? Um, what do you mean by that?
1: Artsy Okay Artsy, They, they okay. It was a little, a little bit more like uh, I mean they have songs with On there like with weird Sounds in the back People talking uh, You know it's like a lot of it's just it's it's a very it's it's a it's a great record. It's a, it's a little strange. Now, I don't know he was he was doing everything within a rock and roll format, but yeah. it was just yeah. I mean, there's really nothing nothing like it if you never heard it. it What's like a out. Lou
0: Was it like a Lou Reed album with just him making noises? Remember?
1: <laughs> no, no, it wasn't like feedback or anything like yeah, that. Feedback. No, no, it no. It's very feedback. it's a very mellow album. Yeah. um you know it's 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 hard to explain you have to just listen to it it's not long you know it's like a yeah. 35 40 minute album you well, know I think. yeah yeah it's a good record um but things were problems were coming in in the band because Brian McLean uh wanted more of his songs used okay and uh that was supposed to happen in fact uh story goes is that forever changes was supposed to be a double album. Wow. Okay, And the way it was going to be Was Johnny Eccles Was going to write one side Okay Um, Another member I think uh, McLean was going to write The other side of a record And then Arthur Lee would have one whole record For himself Of his song But when they got into the studio Electra let them know You can't do a double album We don't have the money for it
0: Wow so they did get
1: a single album. Oh, so they ended up getting a single album out of it. Um, you know, and they'd use the other songs later on, but right. it, it took away from the idea of, of Arthur Lee, not, you know, using other people's music as well. Okay. And these McLean supposedly really was pissed off about this and, you know, made a big beef in the band about it. Um, the band ended up recording for 64 hours to make this record. Okay. So it was made pretty quick, you know? Um, But what happened is some of the, they brought in session musicians, uh, the wrecking crew. Okay. Guys that did all the Phil Spector stuff and everything.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, they were great. But what was happening is they were, they, they were replacing the band, you know, in a lot of, sequences in the songs so they don't you know it it, they play on the record they absolutely play on the record but there's just so much more you know that they didn't play on so um but it's you know regardless it's still a a fantastic album uh the one
0: let me ask you you're a band like that right you you record all that stuff and let's say you weren't playing a second album, but at least, let's say like a double album, at least you got music that you can destroy in other albums and you pretty much got album made. You don't even have to, re- you don't even have to record it again because it's already recorded. You just got to put it in the album.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, if you were going to use all that studio time, I mean, they, yeah. they they did this in 64 hours, which is not that long, okay? It's like not even three days of recording. All All right. Right. So
0: crazy it's I mean, I don't there.
1: think they, they didn't do it straight. I'm sure they had breaks. Yeah, but, boy. you know, it, it's still like very quick compared to what, you know, other bands were doing. Oh, yeah. But they also were paying session musicians. So I'm sure that had something to do with working fast as well, yeah. you know. But, yeah, I mean, if you have, I mean, many bands, if they have studio time left over, they'll record other stuff just to have it. And it might be a demo. Or it might be something that they will use later on on another record. You know, you got to take advantage of all that time that you paid for. You don't just let it go. You know, you don't let it go because that time is two
0: time. It's like like, that's where the fucking budget goes most
1: of the time. Exactly. That's how you waste money. But um, the one single off the album was a song called Alone Again Or, which made it to number 123 in the pop charts. Um, But in England, forever changes the album got to number 24 okay as opposed to 154 in a, in the united states so it did a, it did very well overseas um and bands like a guy like dave vanian and captain sensible and in, in the damned were listening when they were teenagers okay and you know influenced by this uh Alone again, Or is on one of Molly's collections that she that you know you play eyeball. You hear it all the time. You just yeah. might not you might not know the name of it. Um, after forever changes, though, Brian McLean would would leave the band and he would reemerge in the 70s as like a contemporary Christian singer. That's what he got into. Um, they did manage to record one last single with him. A song called your mind and me belong together but it didn't chart wow yeah and then he went on and became a christian singer um in the summer of 68 love would break up all right uh due to mostly money and drug issues okay uh but you know Eccles and uh Eccles got into heroin unfortunately okay mm. uh, he would he would he would survive it. He's still alive, um, but uh, you know, and 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 the money problems—they—they—they—they they, they, they just didn't sell enough there to really hold on, you know. And um, in '69, though, the next year it wouldn't it wouldn't take too long. Lee would Lee would reform that the band with with different people.
0: Okay,
1: uh, it was him on vocals and guitar, a guy named Jay donnellan on. On guitar uh, A guy named Frank Fayad On bass And George Saranovic On drums uh, Lee signed a record deal With Bob Krasno's Blue Thumb label Okay Which was a a, a, lab- a new label at the time uh, But w- When he signed with them He didn't tell Krasno That he was still on the contract With Elektra Ooh. Okay So Lee had been trying to get out of that electric contract since he signed it. He, he didn't like the contract. Okay. Um, and Jack Holzman, who was the founder, CEO of Electra, um, didn't, he tried to be reasonable. He didn't want to let Arthur Lee go, but he also didn't want to have an artist that didn't want to be on his label. Okay. So they came up with a, a, an idea. They ha- because they had recorded all these songs For Blue Thumb Holtzman would take the songs That he liked the best 10 songs And that would be the next love album Okay uh, On that label And it, that album would become the one called For Sale Alright And For Sale like F-O-U-R-S-A-I-L Like a boat Yeah okay? like a
0: boat
1: yeah. So then Three months after that Okay, they, out the
0: here.
1: yeah, out here would come out on Blue Thumb, and that was the remaining songs.
0: So they gave those other songs to um to um Electra then that for sale. Holtzman
1: Holtzman listened to to listen to what they had recorded for Blue Thumb, and took yeah. the ten the, took what he thought was the ten best songs, and that was the for sale album, and then. What was left, they had, they had recorded a lot of songs. There was another album worth of stuff there. And that ended up being the the Out Here record. And to be honest with you, they're both good records. Okay, I was actually listening to Out Here. I, I think I had never heard that record entirely, maybe a song. And uh, I was like, wow. I mean, for songs that were kind of like rejected by Elektra, they're still damn good. Yeah, you know. and
0: these are songs, and these are like they all there at the same time. So these are songs that came right after another. So this album came out, and then this other no, album came right. out. Right, they came song.
1: out just a couple of months apart.
0: Okay.
1: Um, now during the initial Blue Thumb sessions, Krasno had approached Lee and asked if he would reform the original Love lineup at some point because he felt that something was missing in their sound which was now more like a harder-edged sound, okay? Yeah. They weren't doing any mellow stuff with strings and things like that. Uh, Lee said, okay, he obliged him, and he started rehearsing and doing some recording with the original members, Eccles, Forsey, and Stewart. Now, McLean wow. turned them down. McLean, McLean said no, okay? He didn't All want right. any part of So Heroin, though, you know, got back into – into uh, being a focus of a problem here because Eccles was and Forsey were doing it. And what was happening was they would rent equipment, amps and stuff, and these guys would sell it for drug money. (laughs) It's not even their own shit. Okay, they sell it other people. Okay, I mean, you got to be lumped up when you're doing that.
0: I don't know who's whose ramp is I
1: Fucking said it. <laughs> fucking sell it. So. We, we, owe, we, you know, we paid rent on it. it must be ours. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. Now in Europe, uh, they were always big, so they would tour Europe and they would, you know, Eccles and, and Forsey would be thrown out, they would be replaced. Um, they were featured on Dutch TV in 1970 on that tour. Uh, and out here. Would hit number twenty nine in the UK. They
0: loved okay, them so, in the UK.
1: Yeah, doing very well. The next album by Love was called False yeah, Smart. Why? Yeah. Why do you
0: think that did so good there, not here?
1: You know, uh, I think any. I, I I think Europe and particularly England is a lot more open minded to new sounds. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's, it's always that. been that way.
0: Okay. But they, were, uh, they were like they were they had a very unique sound i don't think too many Americans appreciate but i could see a Europe of how it would work you know the sounds the recording yeah. you know just the way that I, I could see that working there but here we have a lot of people that the, they, they were one of these they, don't even they, get
1: it. they were one of these bands that you couldn't really pinpoint them with a sound um okay. a lot of the songs sound different uh but then they have songs that are, that sound similar too so it's it's very hard to Pinpoint them into a genre, and you know Americans we love to label things. Yeah, you know this, that know, really. you know. So it's like it, I, I don't know. I, they just didn't click with the American audience as much as England. Maybe because it's a smaller country. You know. know, it's I mean Eng- England's what like the size of New Jersey. You know what I mean? It's not that big. A little bit bigger. Not that big though. You know, yeah. but um, they uh they continued with the false start record in 1970 and it was uh still like a hard edge sound that they were doing but they threw in some elements of r&b in soul music in there as well uh new member Nooney rickett was on guitar and vocals and uh the opening track was a song called the everlasting first and it featured jimmy hendrix on guitar that's pretty cool one of the last things that hendrix had done Now, according to legend, um, Arthur Lee overheard Bob Krasno from Blue Thumb say to someone that if False Start doesn't go top 10, he would release them from their contract. Wow. So Lee heard him, and legend goes he confronted him, and he made him put it down on paper and sign it. Okay? And guess what? The album didn't even break the top 200. Wow. So he was—he got out of his record contract very easily with that. Uh, a lot of problems with labels, Arthur Lee, over the years. Um, in 71, Love signed to Columbia Records, but recorded nothing releasable. Okay? So these would be released much, much later in 2009 on Sunday wow. Records, and it was called Love Lost. But the Columbia didn't work out either. Now, in July of 72, he dissolved Love. At that point, he was called Arthur Lee and Love. Yeah. Okay. And that was, you know, until they, it's night, like July of 72, he released his first solo record just under Arthur Lee. Uh, it was this album called Vindicator, and he was on AM Records at that point. Columbia had dropped them. Um, and it featured a whole new group of musicians on this uh, the album didn't chart, but his next, the 1973 album called Black Beauty, was recorded for Buffalo Records. So he's bouncing from label to label now. Uh, in fact, that label actually folded Buffalo Records before the album could even be put out. All right, wow. yeah. But in '74, uh, Lee did a some the title track to a black exploitation movie called Thomasine and Bushride. Okay, so yeah. Uh, A new album called Real to Real. New uh, solo album, Real to Real. Came out in 74, but didn't get noticed too much. Okay. Through the rest of the 70s and into the 80s, Arthur Lee had very little musical activity. He was getting a little sick of the business. Uh, I think there was some you know, drug problems also. Uh, his stepfather got very sick of can- he had cancer, and he went mm-hmm. home to kind of take care of him. So he would reemerge in 1992, okay? So he was really out of the scene for 15 to 20 years, okay? And he came out with a new album called Arthur Lee in Love Fire String Serenade. So he's back to using the love name again. Uh, the French label called New Rose, which is a very cool label, they put it out. And the title track, Five String Serenade, would later be recorded by Mazzy Starr and also Jack White of the White Stripes would do a version of it. Wow. Okay. Um, the album featured a new artist he discovered in San Francisco. His name was Keith Farish also known as Demian X. Diamond, okay, and this guy would, would sing, okay, and Lee would take the band to Paris, London, and Liverpool, England. Um, in 1993, he played shows in New York and in England, and in 1994, a new single called Girl on Fire was released on Distortion Records. In 95, Rhino Records put out the box set Love Story, which was a two- two CD set uh, I have this it's it's fantastic it has a nice book that comes with it with a lot of lineings, a lot of information and it covered that period from the beginning 1966 to 1972 uh, it sold very well and and the the you know people were getting very interested in the band because they hadn't been seen in a long time and and you know they wanted there was a big push to put them back together the original lineup With Johnny Eccles. Okay. Um, However, in late 96, Arthur Lee was sentenced to 12 years in jail. Okay. For the negligent discharge of a firearm. All right. Now, California. California has a three strike and you're out rule. Not sure. Not sure if they still do, it, but in the 90s, they did. And Lee had been in trouble over the years. He had a couple of minor drug arrests, drunk driving arrests. Uh, I think he, he had an assault charge against him from one of his wives, something. Okay. So this is like the third strike. Okay. Now he said he didn't fire the gun. Okay. But Wow. Yeah. Now he had actually done also – Two years prior to that, he did two years in prison when he was, you know, out of the scene uh, for arson. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he he had some problems. But Lee denied that he fired the gun. Now, there was a fan that day that visited him, a guy named Doug Thomas. And when he was uh, questioned on the scene, when the cops questioned what was going on, they heard a gun go off. Yeah. Uh, Thomas said he had nothing to do with it, okay. And Arthur got jammed up with it, okay. But later, later, uh, you know, because Arthur was appealing this, okay. And later, uh, Doug Thomas would would con- would confess that he did it, okay.
0: Yeah. But
1: what happened is in the in the original trial, Lee pled guilty, okay. Uh, or actually, no, he, he didn't plead. He was pleaded not guilty. Okay. Had he pled guilty, he would have gotten less time. Wow. Okay. He would have gotten only about nine months, but he had gotten some bad advice legally. Uh, the case was a bit of a bullshit case yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah, it was. And, uh, he ended up serving five and a half years in jail. And was released on December 12, 2001, after an appeals court found that the prosecutor at the trial was guilty of misconduct. So there was problems with the prosecution as well. Probably in in evidence or something. Who knows? Okay. Uh, After releasing from prison, he put together a new band. So he lost his chance to reform Love right when the box set was selling well. Okay. He could have been... Could have been a lot bigger um, He put together a new band though, Once he got out of jail And he planned to tour the 35th anniversary Of Forever Changes They were going to do the album in, in its entirety At live shows Oh that
0: would that'd be yeah.
1: cool Yeah, um, Now two love tracks One called My Little Red Book From the first album And Always See Your Face Were included on the soundtrack For the John Cusack movie High Fidelity Remember that movie? Yep, that's a great movie. Yeah, it is. Uh in two thousand and two, Arthur Lee began touring heavily in Europe, uh, North America and Australia. There's a live CD from that time uh called Arthur Lee in Love Performing Forever Changes. Okay, it's a live record and it came out in two thousand and three. Now Johnny wow. Eccles joined the band for a few shows in California at the time. Uh while on tour, though. In 2005, Arthur Lee left the band and said he couldn't continue, but he gave no reason, no explanation, okay? The band, uh, with Eccles along, decided to continue without Arthur, and they were just called the Love Band, and they added some additional musicians to it. But in April of 2006, it was announced that Arthur Lee was being treated for leukemia. Wow! All right, and they immediately—you know—the guy really didn't have a lot of money. There was a there was a tribute fund was set up to pay for his bills, and there was a series of concerts that were scheduled at the Beacon Theater in New York City on June twenty third, two thousand and six. Yeah, a show featuring Robert Plant, Ian Hunter, Ryan Adams, uh, Niles Lofgren, and others raised money for the. For the cause, okay, for his bills Okay, and after several Months of treatment Including chemotherapy And he also did experimental Stem cell transplants He would die He unfortunately passed away from Complications of leukemia Uh, He died at the age Of 61 in the town He was born in, Memphis Wow That's the love story
0: Wow that's um, a lot of detail a lot of but he had a pretty good career you think it and you you think if he would have made it if he didn't get sick he probably would have still been rocking
1: i think he'd still be out there he'd be he'd be seventy six seventy seven now okay but yeah why not you know uh also it, it it i gotta mention he he was from a mixed background his mother had was black and had a lot of indian American Indian in her uh, Cherokee, I think. I, I think. Um, and uh his father his father was black as well. So he 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 was a very interesting looking guy. Okay. He was biracial in that sense. Uh not too many bands at that time featured, you know, people of color, okay, playing rock and roll. You know, so they were they were very unique in that aspect. Um
0: the band Love to still playing now, didn't they just announce the uh, UK 2020, 2022
1: tour? I'm not aware of them. Would it be Johnny Eccles doing it? I don't. I don't know.
0: Uh, yeah, it's Johnny, it's Johnny Eccles. So this is a. Uh, so the following.
1: Where are you this, reading uh, this, from?
0: Uh The group completed farewell tour of the UK in 2019, but continue to perform in the US. Love revisit in november 2021
1: love and revisited think, yeah it's probably one original guy or something
0: uh yeah it's johnny echo fishing the love band fishing johnny echo they announced that they were again two in the uk in 2022 and some show will play the whole of the first two albums um, oh the couple
1: also and wow love
0: okay. and then and the entire as well as forever changes
1: wow that's a long so, show.
0: That's a long show. I got to be at least at least like ninety minutes, maybe longer.
1: No, it's, that's got to be about two and a half hours, I think. Uh yeah. Know. So pretty
0: much, yeah, that's yeah. pretty cool.
1: Yeah, that is that is. I wasn't aware of that. Well, uh, I've never seen. I, I you know, I had one or two opportunities over the years to see Arthur Lee, and I didn't go. Yeah. I kind of regret that, um, but I, I would I wouldn't mind seeing Johnny Eccles. Very good guitar player. Very kind of underrated. You don't hear much about him in the the lexicon of great guitar players. But he's you know he's a good, a good one. Yeah, he's a good one.
0: Yeah. So so he's playing. He's uh, part of the group. He's like, I think he's, yeah. he's actually the only member. So,
1: so yeah, I think he's the only original. i uh, yeah, I'll keep an eye on that. See when that's happening. If it's coming to New York City, we can go. You know.
0: They might play if they play. They'll probably play like the Beacon or something,
1: something like that. Irving Plaza, maybe. Who knows? Yeah,
0: Irving Plaza. Yeah, or even uh the Gramercy.
1: Yeah, that's another. I think a lot of shows at the Gramercy.
0: Oh, they can even play Webster Hall.
1: Maybe. Yeah. You know, it'll be cool. If it's small cool.
0: enough. Like Webster Hall, they could probably get like two thousand people in there.
1: I think they could sell two thousand. Yeah.
0: Yeah, cause Gramercy is like six hundred, I think
1: yeah it's a little smaller yeah
0: yeah so wow mike thank you for all the information another great band and um well, the next show i think we're doing it's about fishbone
1: yeah yeah we're gonna do a show on fishbone next week and uh they're an interesting band they got a long history and it's one of these hate, bands with I, a lo- I, it's one of these bands fishbone. with a lot of lineup changes <laughs> oh you don't like
0: a, you know trash. i
1: like i i, I like um I, I don't like everything but i like most of it um the first couple out everything they did in the 80s and the early 90s i like uh but they've been putting out some interesting records of late like in the last 15 years they've been around a long yeah. time okay yeah, uh, another band with there. a million lineup changes though
0: yeah it's always amazing when you get bands like that. Yeah. Um. All right, Mike. So, how to how can we get in touch
1: with you? Okay, you could find me on Instagram, Rocker Mike two one two. can find me on Facebook under Rocko Mike, and of course the Rock Show podcast group page. And I'm on the Rocker Mike on CloudHub and <laughs> Mewe. How about you? you. Mewe yeah, doesn't you get a lot find- of action.
0: <laughs> yeah, you can find me on any um, social media platform at Getting Lucked Up and. Um, And if you look it up, I got the website. I got the links to all the podcasts, to all the podcasts, and um, and also the YouTube channel, the Instagram, and the Facebook. And uh, right now we're doing a current series that's getting a lot of appeal. It's getting a lot of views. We're doing the Summer Son of Sam Chronicle, and it's getting a lot of hits and views. And um, we'd like to. Welcome you if you like the rock show, check that out. we got it's a seven episode series. it's up on on YouTube right now and um actually the whole thing should already be out by now right right Mike
1: I would think yeah, yeah so if you came over from those those shows, welcome uh you know it's it's great to have you on board. The rock show is the first show that me and Rob did now over three years ago so yeah, and you know, we've had one hundred and fifty three episodes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I want to give a shout out to the, uh, the country of Kenya, Kenya, we have gone what top 30.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I think,
1: I think it's great.
0: I bet it's that 1% of people that got
1: vaccinated. <laughs> <laughs> well, whoever you are, if you're enjoying the show in Kenya, thank you. We appreciate it for, for putting us over the top over there. Um, <laughs> yeah, so what do we always you know say think? at the end of every show, Rob?
0: Don't get drunk,
1: we get lumped up.
0: We get, we get lumped up. See you next week, people. Take care. I want to get lumped up tonight. Ross and Rock come out